Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I am really excited today to have a very special guest on, John Cutton, who is the founder and CEO of Cutton Wealth Management, one of the larger firms that we work with and have come to know. He's going to be on today. He's done a tremendous job growing his firm, as we say, with Quantum Growth, which is also fortuitous because he has a podcast called Quantum Growth which really covers a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about today. John, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Frank. Really excited to be here and appreciate you having me. Awesome. I appreciate it. I think, I think, and I know based on a podcast that we recorded yesterday, that this will be a great conversation. I think the toughest part for you and I is limiting the time. Yes. To the listeners, I think we decided to do a carryover kind of to be determined because Frank and I had a lot of time, a lot of good laughs yesterday and, and you shared some amazing information on my podcast, which I appreciate. So I'm hoping my listeners get the same information out of this podcast today. So what I was hoping, John, we can really talk about and sort of getting into the weeds on you know, some of the things in the areas that our clients struggle with the most, in my opinion, right? And that is you know, sort of organic growth, inorganic growth, M&A, and just really building the type of enterprise that you've built, right? So just by way of some numbers here, north of 90 team members, you have offices in, well, your main office is in Hopog, New York, New Jersey, Texas, Florida, Michigan, Maryland, Virginia, Connecticut. My guess is there's probably a couple other states in there that, that are in there, well, well north of 5 billion in client assets. Your designations are an alphabet soup of designations, so you're a pretty smart dude. You're a Barron's Hall of Famer, right? That's a pretty big deal. So it's safe to say that you know what you're talking about, and my listeners should be, if they're driving, pull over, get a piece of paper and a pen, and take some notes. This is going to be great. I hope I don't disappoint. I don't know. That was a, I don't know that guy you described, but those are some big, big shoes to fill for sure. But thank you for the kind words. No problem. So why don't we just start just Generally speaking, tell us a little bit about your background and cotton wealth management. And then we're going to get into, we'll start pepping you with some questions about how did you build culture? How are you getting quantum growth with your team? And, and we'll go talk about centers of influence strategies. So let's start with who are you? Great question. And I'll be as brief as I can. So, you know, I always like to say I'm 49 years old. I am happily married, almost 25 years. My wife actually keeps reminding me, Frank, that our 25-year anniversary is in September. I think that's like a one you're supposed to buy a really big gift for or something. And I've got four sons, two in college, one a senior in high school, and my little guy is actually a freshman in high school. So busy with family, things along those lines. And I'll give you the cliff note version. I started in the industry right out of college. In fact, I was almost fully licensed by the time I graduated college. And I've spent my whole career at what is now Ameriprise, right? So for a bit, we were IDS, financial services, and then American Express Financial Advisors, and now Ameriprise. And really, I built my business kind of the traditional way back in the day, cold calling and sitting at kitchen tables and seminars and that kind of thing. 
I got involved in a leadership role, which I think is a little different than many successful advisors out there and really caught the leadership bug. I was blessed to have some amazing mentors who are still mentors and friends today. And I spent about seven years or so in a leadership position, ultimately ran an office. I know you have a leadership background as well, Frank, and we kind of, you know, are connected uh, from that perspective. I like developing others. But with that being said, I got to a point where I wanted to not be in the corporate world and really just go back and be a full-time independent advisor. So in 2001, I literally dug a big hole, not myself, but out my old house, and I dug an outside entrance, and it was me and one advisor who's one of my partners to name. His name is Evan. And Evan and I put an outside entry in, and we worked out of what we called the mezzanine level of my old house, right? It was a basement, but it sounded fancier. Mezzanine right? sounds better. It sure did. And clients and prospective clients like that better as well. And Evan and I thought it would be smart to partner with CPA firms. So I built my first partnership with a CPA firm in 2001. And what I realized was that by doing that, we were able to fish with the proverbial net as opposed to a pole, right? So fast forward today, our firm works with over 100 CPA firms nationally, brings in a few hundred or more clients on an annual basis. And we've really created your words before quantum growth by being able to kind of learn, and we can go deeper in that, how to actually partner with CPAs it's not easy to do. It's that part of the, you know, the business that advisors have always struggled with. And I've got a whole coaching program that has taught advisors how to do that for years. So a lot of our growth started to occur then. And then Frank, in 02, I bought my first business, acquired my first business. It was a smaller, like 30 or $40 million practice. And that's led to over 40, I'm embarrassed to say, acquisitions from 02 through today in 2022. So we've gone on a little bit of an acquisition spree. You know, they were smaller back in the day, and lately they've been, you know, larger from a AUM perspective, et cetera. And then the last thing that I would share, just from a background perspective, which I think makes me a little different than most advisors in the industry, is I'm no longer client facing. For about a decade, I have not worked with clients at all. I jump in a meeting here and there to help out or shake a hand or see an old client. But we've all heard that old adage, Frank, right? Spend more time working on the business and less time working in the business. So I really consider my role to really be kind of the visionary of the business, leading and developing the team, setting vision and making sure that we're growing, right? I spend a lot of my time on growing, whether it be developing advisors on the team, making sure our business development team is growing and bringing new assets into the firm or working on inorganic growth strategies like M&A and bringing in experienced advisors. Wow. I took a lot of notes down here as you were talking and I was listening. You'll likely have to ask very few questions. I give long, very long and very thorough answers I've been told. I've been told the same thing too. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into, let's dive right into the centers of influence and specifically with CPA. I did a podcast a few months ago and it was really all about growing your firm through not only CPA centers of influence, but really CPA acquisitions. I don't know if you get involved in that or not. I haven't, we never really talked about that, but I believe that there's an opportunity because there's so many small CPA firms out there that really don't have any plan whatsoever. And the right wealth management firms that can acquire majority ownership of those practices and then plant 
I'll call it a salaried wealth management advisor, something in those offices is I think a, where I think the future is going. But talk about my listeners are going, well, how did he do that? Like, how did he build relationships with over 100 CPA firms? Yeah, no, great question. And I'll, and I'll hit both the acquisition piece as well, because it's something we haven't acquired a CPA firm yet, but we're about to. We're working on a couple. And again, they'll, they'll need to get to the finish line, but it's something that we're very intrigued by and, and very much thinking about doing as we speak. So, you know, the first thing I'd say is a lot of trial and error, right? So I've been at working with CPAs. We've built a business around it literally since 2001. And in my coaching program, I've had this saying that I've said forever, right? And you have to kind of listen to me say it twice to get it. And it's that the hard part is getting the CPA to say yes to a professional alliance with a financial advisor. The harder part is then influencing them to do what it is you want them to do, i.e. introducing clients. So it's hard to actually get a CPA, right? Stereotypically, CPAs are not risk takers, right? And they don't all believe that they should be in our industry or involved in receiving compensation, right? And there's rules about that, which we could talk some about as well. So it's hard to find the right CPA, right? It's, it's a lot easier, by the way, than it was in 2001 when I started, right? Today, the AICPA is super supportive of wealth management. There's a PFS designation. There's a whole kind of tab on the AICPA's website about personal financial planning. So it's way more accepted. The majority of larger firms are doing it and more and more firms are actively engaging in financial planning and actually like looking for it as opposed to you having to call them, which is kind of interesting. But what I find is over and over again, it's one thing to get the CPA to say yes, right, to a partnership together. It's another thing to actually teach them how to spot opportunities and how to actually make introductions the right way. And one of the themes that you'll hear from me a lot, Frank, and you know this about me already, is leadership is the key, I call it Jenga block, stolen from my leadership coach, by the way, but it's the, it's the key Jenga block to a lot of things, right? And when you think about it, a CPA is sitting on 300, 500, 1,000. We work with one CPA firm that has over 20,000 clients, literally, right? They've got this opportunity, but they're nervous, right? They're uncomfortable approaching it. So what we spend a lot of time on is creating systems and processes to make it easy for them to build awareness within their practice. So I'll give you some examples. I'll give you three really important rules, right? So the first rule, Frank, is once a CPA actually wants to work with you, you must create a joint business plan together. Most advisors don't do that. It doesn't need to be fancy but a, literally a one pager of now that you've said, Mr. Frank LaRosa, CPA, that you'd like to help your clients, you'd like to fulfill your fiduciary responsibility by giving clients the best advice. And you know that by partnering with my firm, because you've seen my whole client experience, you've seen the advice that we give, you've seen the benefits that many of your clients would be better off with me than with whoever it is they might be working with today, right? So since we want to actually do that and make this a facet of your business, how are we going to build awareness? And what I always teach advisors is get the CPA to commit to do three things. And it doesn't matter what those three things are, just three things, okay? So examples of those three things might be sending what I would call a partnership announcement, right? Just a letter saying La Rosa CPAs has partnered with Cut & Wealth Management 
for these reasons. And we have samples of those letters and things along those lines. The second thing that I would share, most important thing, is you have to meet regularly, right? So what a lot of advisors do is they meet a CPA, they say, hey, and I say CPA guys, it could be an EA, an enrolled agent, a tax preparer, an attorney, other COIs, but we find the most success with CPA firms. If you meet this professional, decide that you're going to do some business together, you shake hands and you go, great, I'll refer to you, Frank, when I come across someone and you'll refer to me, kind of the old fashioned way. If you come across someone, it's almost never going to work, right? Out of sight, out of mind, you move on, you're busy, you've got other things, right? That, that CPA isn't thinking about you all the time. So consistency in meeting right, on a regular basis is probably the second most important thing. And what we recommend is weekly, right? So we, we engage and meet our CPAs on a weekly basis where we go to their office. Today, it's done through, you know, video conferencing and such as well. But really, the purpose of that meeting is to make sure that we're holding the CPA accountable as a leader, right, to actually execute on that marketing or business plan that I spoke about, okay? The third, probably most important thing that we teach and we find success is we make what we call a hit list or a top 50 list or a top 100 list, depending on how big the CPA practice is. And it's not based on what they perceive as the largest clients in the practice. It's based on who they have the best relationship with. So I would come to you, Frank, and say, hey, you do 400 tax returns a year. Let's make a list of your 50 favorite clients. When Frank says to a client, I think you should do this, which client says, whatever you say, Frank, we're lucky to have you, right? Who's the person that you see in your community, et cetera? And what we do is we teach the advisor how to lead the CPA to go after the highest relationships first, because quite frankly, it's the most comfortable thing for them to do, right? So I'll just go a little deeper there, and then I'm sure you'll have some questions. So what I mean when I say that is we'll even teach, right? So what I would say to you, Frank, if you were the CPA and I was the advisor, is, hey, Frank, who's your favorite client? Play along a little bit. Who's your favorite client, the person that when you see, they give you a hug and a kiss and they tell you how lucky they are to have you. We all have a client like that. What's yeah, their name? Yeah, Bill Smith. Bill Smith. Here's what I want you to do, Frank, okay? Because I want you to be able to see me in action and see how Bill actually kind of takes to our process and the advice that we give. I want you to call Bill and I want you to ask him if he could do you a favor and sound something like this. Hey, Bill, it's me, Frank, your CPA. I hope you're well. We make some small talk. We go, hey, Bill, I've been thinking about adding wealth management services to my CPA firm. I get a lot of questions from clients and particularly today with all the unrest in the markets, my phone's been ringing off the hook. I've done a bunch of due diligence I've actually found what I think is the right firm. They share the same values as me. They're very honest. They have integrity. They really care about serving clients. And I'm thinking about making it a part or a division of my business. And you know, I'll tell you, Bill, I really, really have always respected your opinion. You've always been one of my favorite clients. I feel like we've had a, you know, unbelievable relationship together, more of a friendship. Now, I don't even care, by the way, Bill, if you become a client of the firms. I think maybe you should, but that's up to you. But if I could ask a favor of you, and if you're uncomfortable, it's fine, but would you be willing to go through the process with this financial planning firm? It's a couple of meetings. 
right? They're going to ask you a bunch of questions, learn about your situation, put together a financial analysis and kind of analyze what you have. Worst scenario is you learn something. Best scenario is we provide a lot of value and you'll be able to maybe engage with them. But really what I want most of all is your feedback as one of my favorite clients to see if you'd be comfortable working with a firm like that and get your honest feedback on their process and them as advisors. It's okay if you're not willing to, but would you be willing to do that for me, Bill? So that's just an example, right? What we found is when you make it easy for the CPA to actually approach a client, it works unbelievably well. And I said, there's three, I'll give you one more. The fourth piece is you should always have the CPA, him or herself, go through your process, right? So most of our CPA firms are clients of our firm, right? So they get to see firsthand the value that we provide, the birthday card that they get in the mail, all the stuff that we do as advisors, right? That CPAs don't realize we do, how dialed in our processes are and how much value we provide. They get to actually see it firsthand. The first CPA firm, Frank, that I built a relationship with, this is a guy by the name of Ken Serini, firm out here in Long Island called Serini Associates. We still work together today. He and I, he's part of my coaching company as well. So when we train advisors, I've brought Ken along for years. And I remember the first time we did a presentation, Frank, speaking to a group of about 50 financial advisors, and I kind of stood up and I did my, my intro and who I am. And Ken stood up and I had no idea what he was going to say. And he first introduced himself. And then he took a step forward. And he says to a group of 50 financial advisors, just so you all know, CPAs view all of you as just a small step above a used car salesperson. I'll say it again. A CPA views, and I'm a financial advisor, right? All of you as a small step above a used car salesperson. So as a financial advisor, you have to actually come to grips with the fact that a CPA actually isn't fond of our industry. And you can't blame them. Think about what a CPA's experience is. They've heard about fraud in our industry. They get to see people's tax returns where financial advisors sometimes don't tell clients about capital gains or taxes on distributions, or they call our offices in tax season for you know cost basis information and the advisor doesn't get back to them, right? So I share that to say our whole process with CPAs is around showing them how we're better and different than most of the industry and how it's their fiduciary responsibility in a way to protect their clients from all of, in their perspective, the used car sales people that their clients are likely working with already. And by doing some diligence and bringing them to us, the client can get a much better experience. Wow. So you're actually using their negative opinion to your advantage. You're using that negative opinion because you can deliver and show them why you're different, why you're better, which then gets them as a raving fan, basically. You got it. We showed a show and tell meeting, right? Second step of, we have a process that we go through with all of our CPAs. We invite them to our office and we show them what we do. And when you show someone what you do and you have a planning process and you know we run something we call the seasons of advice and you send summary letters and birthday cards and market updates and all that. Most advisors, Frank, do a really good job. The CPA just doesn't really know how good of a job a good advisor does. Right. They're not seeing it. They're not seeing any of that stuff. Right. So essentially you're getting them to eat, I want to say eat their own cooking, but when they become a client of yours, 
then they tell a client of theirs to become a client, they can say, listen, not only am I recommending you to them, but I'm also a client. Like they're my advisors. Yep. You got it. Yeah. And again, what I, sometimes it gets a little touchy because CPA could either be embarrassed by their level of savings or can not want to share just how much savings they have. So I always say to the CPA, I'll take you through the process. I prefer you to share everything. But even if we we set up an IRA for you, we manage your small business retirement plan, right, that you have at your CPA firm, I want you to be able to look your client in the eyeballs and honestly say, I'm a client of the firm. All right. So this is awesome. It really helps, I think, give people a, a structure or, or I think the CPA space and, and referrals in general is always a weak point within the financial services space, right? For some reason, advisors just have a hard time getting referrals. When they come in, great, you know, but to be proactive has always been a big issue for the business. So you have a, a huge team, multiple offices, and you're articulating that really well. Are your advisors that work within your organization, within Cotton, are they building out their own centers of influence or are they plugging into a Cotton machine, you know, that you're then distributing the, the referrals from? And I ask that question because a lot of practitioners today, business owners. So we talked about this yesterday. You go from a practitioner, which means you're probably at a retail shop or W2 firm. You go independent. Now you're, you know, you're independent, right? But maybe you still have yet to build an enterprise like, like what you have. But a lot of advisors now are trying to go to the enterprise level. So I'm interested to understand how you're managing the lead flow. And is it based on each advisor or as a company? And then you're distributing the leads and I think another secondary question is, has that helped you recruit advisors to Cotton Wealth Management? Because now you're, you're generating something that a lot of producer groups, OSJs, whatever you want to, you know, ensemble group, whatever you want to, everybody sort of calls it something different. But, you know, that's which will sort of get us into the, the second part of this, is, which is the recruiting and how you're growing through acquisition and stuff like that. But like, what's that process look like at Cotton? Totally get get what you're driving at there. So I want to make this relatable to your listeners as well, right? So there was a time that the guy building CPA relationships back in 2001 was me. It's funny when I do this training with Ken Serini, who I mentioned, he always tells a story. He's like, no, you don't understand. John would come to my office and he literally wouldn't leave until I called three clients. And it's true. I would sit at his desk rank and say, well, you committed Ken to call three people a week. We have our top 50 list. We're going to call him and we would role play what to say. And he like he jokes, he goes, I just called him because he wasn't going to leave until we actually did it. So I did all this back in the day by myself. And that's what created a lot of the growth. Today, we have a business development team, right? That does that. So I've got folks in the organization that their entire job is building partnerships with CPA firms and maintaining relationships with CPA firms to monetize those relationships. It wasn't always that way. And then it started with one person and then it was two and now it's six or seven and growing in the team. So, you know, to the advisors listening, what I found is most advisors, good advisors that have worked really hard for a long period of time are able to get to about a million, maybe a million and a half in production by doing everything themselves, right? They get themselves a good, you know, junior partner or power planner or assistant or whatever it is you want to call it, sales assistant, 
and they could just work really hard and they're good enough at sales and business development, et cetera, that they could build a million, million and a half, maybe a $2 million business on their own. And at some point, right, you've got to, in my opinion, to grow past that, you've got to start to build what I call verticals in your business, right? When I say a vertical, someone other than you needs to own different things in the business. So Dan Sullivan, right, who many of your listeners probably know who the strategic coach is, Dan Sullivan, wrote a book maybe six months ago or so called Who Not How, right? So I've got a guy by the name of Jeff Magson, and I've got a guy by the name of Chris Clamfer, who are my two main CPA business development people. That's what they do each and every day. To put in perspective, Jeff, who's a new hire to us a little over a year ago, was the former executive vice president, one of the, the EVPs of First Global. First Global is a BD that I'm sure you know of, Frank, that built their business around CPAs. Now they're a Vantax. But imagine having right that who, who literally ran a BD with hundreds of advisors that built businesses inside of CPA firms as the person who's out talking to CPAs, telling the message of our firm, right? So I'm a, a big advocate of that. And that's how we do it today. We've got folks whose job is to set appointments with CPAs. We have folks whose jobs are to tell our story to CPAs. And we have folks whose jobs are to actually lead and influence the CPA to ultimately refer clients and get those prospective clients to the advisors on our team. And exactly what you said, Frank, is that's what we do. We basically dole those clients out to the advisors on our team around the country who get really warm, right, introductions to qualified, highly endorsed clients. And a big part of our process, about two-thirds of the meetings that we do, I'd like it to be 100%, with a referral from a CPA firm, the CPA, him or herself, are in the room with us, right? So when you can get an introduction from a CPA and the CPA is sitting at the head of the table, in essence, introducing you know their clients to you as the financial advisor, our closing ratio or conversion ratio is around 85 or 90% every time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be way up there. It's got to be close to 100% almost, so. Yep. So it's, again, harder than I'm making it sound. A lot of work and a lot of mistakes we made in trials and tribulation. But again, when you have someone who full-time works on that, and I think that's maybe a key for your advisors, right, is, you know, in order to build any system, right, you need to actually create the vision. I always call it four to five leading indicators or KPIs, right, key performance indicators, of what those lead indicators are. And if you do those lead indicators over and over and over again, the result or lag indicators will ultimately happen. Now, the issue is most people have a hard time doing those lead indicators over and over and over again, but particularly if you're an advisor who's running a busy business, it's hard to find the time yourself to hold yourself accountable to do that. Yeah, I think that you did something that a lot of advisors have a hard time doing early on and you reached a point in time where you said, all right, now I need to start investing in more human capital, right? Bringing people on board. And I think that advisors make a huge mistake on how they look at that. Oh, it's going to cost me X amount of dollars, right? When I make decisions on bringing on people onto my team, so I'll call it non-producer roles, right? So CFO, COO, right? I actually look at that as an investment back in my time, right? Or somebody else's time. So hire a CIO, because my president is half his day spent on CIO related stuff. So I 
if I go out and hire a CIO, now I'm investing in my president, Dale Dempsey, his time, getting some of his time back where he then can produce. But you know, advisors have to just understand they need to reinvest in their business and look long-term, have that vision that you're talking about and put the people in place, right people, right positions, right? Which is a sort of a EOS slash Dan Sullivan, you know, thing. So it's funny you say that, Frank, and we haven't talked about this before. We run the EOS system for a whole whole organization. So rocks and right and the IDS system and all that. So that's really how we run the organization. And Another reason why we're so similar. <laughs> yeah. And as you meet more and more successful people, at least I've experienced, what you realize is they focus on rocks or lead indicators and they hire smart people, right? Who enjoy a certain part of the business and they, they help with the vision of what you want the vision or business to look like, but they support them and kind of get out of their way and make sure that they're hitting, you know, hitting the results that they need. It's an interesting, you know, to pick up on our conversation yesterday, right? And I think it's a good probably place for us to take our conversation because I know I'm being wordier than I need to be. You know, when you start to think about, right, as an advisor, right, that is thinking about whether they're in the right spot in their career, should they stay where they are or should they make a move? I think we both agree that, you know, the industry is moving more towards independence, whether it be wires and regional advisors going to the independent BD space or directly the RIA space or hybrid RIA space or IBDs, right, going RIA, more and more advisors are flowing there. And I think what it really comes down to for me is what, you know, you said a minute ago, which kind of made me think about it is, you know, if I'm at a wire and I'm getting a, you know, 42% cash payout, 43, 45, you know, wherever it may be, I'm giving up, you know, 50% plus, right, of my payout, regard, you know, depending on which platform I'm in. And it's just a matter of, do you want the firm, the wirehouse, to make investment decisions with that 50% plus in how they invested in technology or marketing or branding or compliance, et cetera? Or is there ability for you as a CEO of your business to be able to take that 50% plus and make better decisions for your own business? And you know, you and I hit this a little bit yesterday. Every advisor is different. For some advisors, they're better off being in a wirehouse because they're not the right person to make those decisions or they don't have that vision, right? Or leadership skill or desire to do it. For many, right? It may be you can make better decisions and create more scale by hiring a business development person on your own with 5% of your, if you're a million dollar producer, take 5% of your payout rate, go hire a young kid who wants to be a business development person, pay he or she $50,000 a year to go find CPAs, go through a course on how to figure out how to be really good at finding CPAs. And if you have someone who does that all day long for 50 grand, how long until you have 10 CPAs referring 10 clients a piece to you? Not that long. Might take three years, but man, for 50 grand a year, right? Which might turn into 75 and 100 and 200 if they do a good job. If you can bring in 100 clients a year for the rest of your career, that's a really good investment. And that's kind of, you know, Frank, how I think about it is, you know, when you're running your own business, you've got the ability to kind of spend your resources 
in areas that if you can lead through it, that you can really create that quantum growth that we talked about. All right. So you just touched on this and you, and you were talking about or you're referring to advisors at other firms and trying to figure out if that's where they're going to be or not. Let's jump over to where I've seen, and this is a two-part question, because I think the second part of how you're having so much success recruiting to your company, right? How are you doing that? And then the other part of it, I think, which is probably comes as a surprise to a lot of people is you're a huge company. You're not an RIA, right? And you're at Ameriprise. Yep. Right? Yeah. I think people are going, what? You know, how is he doing that? So you and I both know Ameriprise, right? And the things that we like about the firm. But I think as a whole, people might be surprised. You're a $5 billion you know, independent advisor at Ameriprise crushing it, right? Getting quantum growth. So talk about that as two-part recruiting, and then how are you doing at such a good job, you know, again, under the umbrella of Ameriprise? Yeah, no, super question. I call that the cutting two-step. Usually I catch people up. I'm going to try to remember the two questions. If not, you'll have to remind me of the second. So the first one I'll take is, you know, how are we having success recruiting, right? And what we've done is really try, we, we look for two different types of advisors, right? And of course, we're hiring administrative people and power planners and folks that aspire to be advisors. But when I think about advisors, I'll say we're looking for three types, right? One is we built a business around developing advisors. So we develop a lot of young talent. And what I've found is because we've developed young talent, advisors who are looking to exit the business, who are in the twilight of their career, what they're looking for is really simple, right? They're looking for, I don't care what anyone says, right? Number one, they're looking for the right price of their business. It always comes down to price, right? In reality. Number two, they are really looking for an advisor who's going to help with their legacy. And most really want both, right? And probably will tell you it's all about legacy and giving a great client experience and taking care of clients. But I think there's a lot of firms that advisors can get comfortable with saying, this firm can do a good job, right? And then it turns into price. The key is, if you're not developing young talent that has capacity, how do you take on an advisor's book who built a million dollar or $2 million book of business? If I'm an advisor who's got a million or 2 million that I do in production, and I'm going to go buy an advisor who does a million or 2 million, how do I create double the capacity, right? So I think one really important point to make for advisors who are looking to grow through acquisition is you have to overstaff and you have to have capacity on your bench for really good, capable advisors. And to do that, you have to be able to develop them. You have to be willing to pay them well. And that's a big part of our process. I think the second piece is there's two types of advisors that join us. And by the way, Frank, we've actually hired folks in the last year from the Wirehouse channel, the bank channel, the independent BD channel, and the RA channel. So we are resonating with advisors from all different kind of walks of life. But we have advisors that I will call that want to be servicing advisors, meaning they're very competent CFP type folks, care deeply about their clients, but they're just not killing it yet, right? So the business development end of things, the asset rainmaking isn't what they're great at, but they're really good advisors. So what we do is we've built a business around taking an advisor like that and saying, we don't want you to market at all. In fact, the only marketing I want you to do 
is to do really good work for the clients that we will give you to serve. And we'll give you those clients either through our robust organic growth. We bring in a couple hundred, few hundred, maybe somewhere between a couple hundred and a few hundred new clients a year from satisfied client referrals organically. We bring in a few hundred clients a year from our CPA partnerships. And in a year like last year, we brought in a couple thousand clients through acquisitions. So we're not looking for advisors to come on our platform and rainmake. Now, if they can, that's a bonus, right? We're happy for them to do that. But we're really getting advisors who really love being a financial advisor to do true comprehensive financial planning, great asset management advice, build deep, meaningful relationships, and organically grow the business by winning the wallet share from the client and by getting referrals from the clients by just going above and beyond and giving amazing advice. So, you know, there's a role like that that we hire. That's where we hire most of our advisors, right? And then secondarily, we've got a role that we call a beachhead leader is what we call it. And a beachhead leader, Frank, is simply an advisor who comes in onto our chassis that we want to build a great big business through. So I've got about 10 folks right now in the organization that are beachhead leaders. I've got two or three that are in process of joining us to be beachhead leaders. And those are folks that really what we do is they're advisors, but they're really player coaches. And by the way, some of our internal folks turn into beachhead leaders who have a desire to lead and develop. But what we're doing there is we're asking someone to run a very small client base themselves, but to lead and develop other advisors and help us continue to develop business through our CPA partnerships and through onboarding all of our practice acquisitions. And that's a role where, you know, I'll give you an example, brought an advisor in probably 18 months ago. His name is Rich, by the way, right? Rich came in as about a $400,000 producer, came from more of the insurance channel, great guy. And to make a long story short, Rich is now gone from being a $400,000 producer to managing about a $3 million business for the firm in 18 months. All of that growth has been, in essence, sourced by my business development team. So if you can picture it, Rich comes in, we think he's a high capable advisor, right? And we, we go, let's turn the machine on Rich. Let's find businesses to buy, advisors to recruit, CPA firms in his area, right, to refer clients. We build all that for him. His job is now to make sure that the advisors and the clients get the right experience and that we can deliver that experience over and over and over again. So those are kind of the three places there. And if it's okay, because I know I'm getting wordy here on the Ameris Pride side, Frank, you know, it's interesting. I've been with Ameriprise since 1994, right? So I, I go back to selling, you know, IDS mutual funds and Way certificates. <laughs> it, it's, it's been a while. And I think, I believe at least, because I'm out at industry events and, you know, Barron's and Forbes conferences and things like that. I think Ameriprise as a firm is now over the last five, six, seven years being seen more for the great company it is. So listen, Every company has its pros and cons, but to me, Ameriprise is the place where as an advisor, you can get, in my opinion, the ideal experience for a practice where we've got 
amazing technology. I mean, when we recruit advisors and you've seen it and we bring them in, they're like, oh my goodness, everything's connected. Yeah, they're shocked. Yeah, the amount of time and therefore money that we save because of the efficiency of our technology is absolutely amazing. We've got national branding, right? While we were recording this, I've seen two TV commercials for Ameriprise go on CNBC. You can't underestimate how important that is when a client ultimately sees that, right? One of the most trusted firms in the financial services industry. And I think to me, the big, big piece is we've been doing comprehensive financial planning. When I started in 94, we were doing comprehensive financial planning. Today, we do comprehensive financial planning. That to me is where the puck is going, right? Asset management is becoming more and more commoditized, right? Clients in the, in the industry, in my opinion, is moving more towards true comprehensive financial planning advice and really having that client experience overall. I think Ameriprise advisors, in my opinion, and the culture that we have allows us to really provide clients with what they're looking for, digitally enabled, right? Goal-based, true comprehensive financial planning advice. And I think in my opinion, we're years ahead of where a lot of our competitors actually are. And it's a really big competitive advantage. Yeah, I would agree. I get asked that a lot of times. So who's got the best technology in the business? And many times I'm like, you're not gonna believe this, but Ameriprise. They're like, what? I'm like, oh yeah. When you see their technology, you're gonna go, holy, like it makes some of the wirehouse firms look awful. Yeah. So, and, and what's interesting, Frank, is I've got even a little bit of a different competitive advantage. I, I think of Ameriprise and I describe it, right? And I even think our, our senior leadership describes it this way. We're not the cheapest game in town, right? Meaning we don't give the highest payout on the street or the highest recruiting bonus or the highest, the lowest cost provider on everything, but it's high quality, right? And it's in, it's in the spectrum of being right there with all the other independent broker dealers. Not the cheapest, not the most expensive, somewhere in the middle. But the reality of it is it's really supported independence. So the way I look at it, Ameriprise provides supported independence. Cut and Wealth Management, to get to your question, adds a whole nother layer of supported independence, right? Leadership development training, referral coaching, CPA, referrals, practice acquisitions, access to capital to acquire businesses, right? This is KWM, right? Cut and wealth management driven. And because of the size and scale that we've been able to build on the Ameriprise chassis, we're the, the largest currently practice, or one, let's say one of the largest practices in the ecosystem. We get better cost, right? And better payout than the average advisor at Ameriprise. So when advisors join our chassis, we get to pass that along to them as well, which becomes a really big competitive advantage for us and also for those who join us. And I feel we deserve it because we work really hard to build a really large enterprise within the organization. Yeah, you, you definitely have size and scale and it was, and it was great. You just sort of must have been reading my mind because I was going to sort of in, in wrapping up, I was going to ask you like, so why, why should an advisor think about joining cut and wealth management versus any other practice, but, or we're particularly going to, going to Ameriprise, which is a great firm, but going there directly. And I think you just really answered, you really answered that in terms of why it makes sense for what you're bringing to the table, what you've been able to build. And Canley, one of the things that you didn't mention was your, your leadership, just leadership in general. 
think that there are a lot of enterprise firms out there and they're big and they get scale and all that stuff and they can articulate that to their teams. What they don't bring to the table for advisors joining them is a level of leadership that those advisors may have been used to for years, right? Working in a, at a Morgan Stanley or a UBS, where I have, I have friends that are there in RBC and they're great managers and leaders. And when you go independent, you lose that connectivity sometimes. Yep. No, thanks for reminding me of that. I mean, our culture, it's cliche, but is everything. And training classes for, you know, we develop the junior advisors for our advisors. We find them and we develop them. Two weeks ago, we had 25 advisors here in New York for a week's worth of training. I personally conducted it. I was there every day, literally teaching advisors how to present asset allocation, right? And that's a big, as you know, Frank, issue in the industry, right, is no young talent is coming into the industry and there's not a lot of channels to develop them. So we identified that years ago, we built a robust intern program. So I think about it this way, Frank, and I know we're getting really short on time, so I'll, I'll wrap for you. But what I, what I would share is what I've tried to do, and we're not all the way there yet, right, is we've built inside of our business, right? I consider our business a true vertical business, right? I find a lot of the firms at our size, not all, but are horizontal businesses, meaning it's 20 producers, you know, or 50 producers in our case, all doing a million to do 50 million a year in revenue. We're literally one firm that works together as a team that uses all the resources of the organization. And it's one experience to the client. And I look at it where we've got myself as a CEO, president whose name is Jake Dunlap, who is an RVP, ran 11 states for Ameriprise for years, a chief operating officer, a chief financial officer, you know, CIO, et cetera, et cetera, business development team. Our corporate office employees, number one job is to create development for our advisors from a learning and growing, as well as our staff, recruiting, business development, M&A. So what we work tirelessly to do every single day is to help our advisors grow by actually bringing them tangible assets that they can work with, not ideas that they can implement, but here's the client, go run the play and go, go grow the business that way. That's our differentiator. And that's that who, not how piece I figured out a long time ago. If you ask someone to do too many things, they can't be good at everything. So what we've done is we've created enough scale that I can go hire someone, right, to go run a division for us that will create opportunities for the whole organization. And that's our business plan. Simply put, I expect to have, I mean, we have probably two and a half million dollars of payroll right now in our executive team. I think that number is going to be the fastest growing expense in the organization so we can continue to grow and help advisors get what they want for themselves. Yeah, I'm right there with you. We're on the same track there with our company. So it's very interesting to hear you say that. So this is great. This is a lot to unpack. Probably I would, I would recommend everybody that's listening to this to go and listen to it multiple times because there's a lot of great stuff in there, actionable content, which is what I try to drive. So speaking of actionable content, where can they find your podcast? And how to, if someone has interest in talking to you more, where can they reach out to you? 
Sure. So podcast for advisors, and I go deep into a lot of the things we talked about today. And like you, Frank, have great guests, including you. So it's called Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. You can find it everywhere, wherever you listen to podcasts, it is there. And then to find me, best place is to go through my email address at Ameriprise, which is my name, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, dot S as in Sam, dot Cutton, K-U-T-T-I-N as in Nancy, the at symbol, and then A as in Apple, M as in Mary, P as in Peter, F as in Frank.com. Awesome. Great. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Again, we another one where we could have just kept going. Yeah, we got to do this little Joe Rogan style next time, I think, huh? I know. I know. Because we could, yeah, we're, there's some... For those listeners, we had some other things on the docket too, but we're going to, we'll do another one. This would be great. So love to do it. Yeah, exactly. So everyone, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to go to iTunes and I always say smash that like button for our podcast, Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel where you'll be able to see John and I talking and everybody else at Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I look forward to our next conversation specifically with John and some other guests. And thanks for joining us again. And we'll see you on the other side. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts. <laughs>